This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley, the Bright Focus Foundation, and welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, an update on the AMD drug pipeline. Welcome, welcome today. If you haven't been with us before, let me tell you a little bit of how our Bright Focus Chats work. First of all, some background on us. Bright Focus funds some of the top researchers in the world. We support scientists all around the globe that are trying to find cures and better treatments for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. On Bright Focus chats such as today, we share the latest news from these scientists with families who are impacted by these diseases. On our website, brightfocus.org, we have a number of free publications and plenty of materials that are there to help you. Let me tell you about today's, today's chat, update on the AMD drug pipeline. We're really fortunate to once again be joined by Dr. Josh Janaeus, who is at the Shea Institute at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. If Dr. Janaeus' name sounds familiar to us, um, he has been uh, a guest on several Bright Focus chats and a number of times a year writes expert articles uh, that appear at brightfocus.org. And through the generosity of donors to Bright Focus, we've been able to support Dr. Janaeus and other researchers in their, in their work to try to cure macular degeneration. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce Dr. Josh Janaeus. Um, uh, Dr. Nayef, uh, welcome. Hi, Michael. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Nayef, uh, probably no surprise to you as a as a uh, clinician, but the number one question we get here during the chats and, and other times from families impacted with AMD are when can I when will I be able to stop getting injections in the eye? So we thought we'd we'd invite you back with us today just to just to give us a little update on on. Uh, some promising uh, new drugs and, and treatment opportunities that might be down the road. And I know that uh, you, you wrote a piece for us at brightfocus.org on this topic that was, was very widely visited. So uh, we'd appreciate your uh, giving, us, uh, giving us some news from, from the lab. Yes, good question. Uh, we're uh, fortunate now to have treatments for wet macular degeneration. Back 10 years ago or so, before these injections were developed, patients would lose a lot of vision from wet macular degeneration. And fortunately, now a lot of patients can retain some pretty good vision. But I understand that it's very difficult for patients and their families to have to keep coming back for treatments every month or every two months. So there's a lot of research being done to try to develop drugs that will last longer. And uh, there are some, some that are coming along within the next year, I would say. So one of them is called the RPDS, the Rigid Port Delivery System. Uh, this is developed by a company called Genentech. And it's a device that's implanted just inside the eye, and it can be filled with the drug Lucentis. And it releases the Lucentis slowly. This looks like it's uh, a good candidate, and it's in a uh, phase two clinical trial right now. And uh, that trial is, has an expected completion in uh, the middle of next year. Uh, so if this one works, it uh, probably will be coming along within uh, a couple of years. Another one that should be coming even sooner is called brolucizumab. So this is another injection of a drug that blocks the same target target as uh, Lucentis 
ILEA, uh, and Avastin. That target is called VEGF. VEGF is uh, like a fertilizer that promotes the growth of bad blood vessels. So we want to neutralize that. And brolizumab neutralizes it, and in a phase three clinical trials, it lasts longer uh, than uh, Lucentis. It was non-inferior, which is technical jargon for uh, mm-hmm. just, as, just as good, essentially, as Lucentis when given every three months. Uh, so this one should be able to space the, uh, the, the time between injections out uh, further. And that may be available as soon as next year. Great. So these are all for uh, there, AMD? Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah. for wet AMD. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are a couple of other drugs that uh, also target VEGF. Uh, that, that may last longer than the current drugs. Another one is called Abisapar. Uh, and um, there's another class of, uh, of treatments that's uh, coming along that will target VEGF and also other, other proteins. It's gene therapy. So there's, there's been a lot of excitement lately about gene therapy because it was FDA approved for another eye disease. Uh, that eye disease is uh, called labors, and it uh, affects children who are born blind. And the, the children who get this treatment really miraculously get uh, are able to see uh, after the treatment. Wow. So this, this proves that gene therapy can, can work, it can be safe, and it can last for years. And now that means that there's a potential for macular degeneration to deliver a one-time gene therapy that could target VEGF or uh, produce another protein that would be therapeutic that could last for years. That's that's amazing. It's how science from one on one disease can can carry over. Uh, this, this is really exciting. So, uh, are there any uh, uh, encouraging signs on the dry AMD front? Yes. Uh, so. There's a, in a drug called uh, APL2 made by a company called Apelis, which is injected into the eye, and it inhibits a, uh, a protein called complement. So complement is really more of an insult in that it uh, promotes inflammation in the eye. It's part of the immune system. And there's good evidence that it attacks the eye in people with macular degeneration. So this drug is designed to neutralize uh, a complement protein called C3. And in a phase two trial, people with geographic atrophy, which is the advanced form of dry macular degeneration, had a slowing of the growth of their area of atrophy. So that's a really good thing. It means that their vision, uh, their visual field would be uh, protected. And that is now advanced into phase three clinical trials. That's great. So that's and, the uh, one that's really furthest, sorry, Michael, that, that's no, the one ahead. that's really yep. furthest, furthest along uh, for, uh, for dry macular degeneration or geographic atrophy. Uh, there, are, there are others that are 
uh, in a more experimental phase uh, right now. There's uh, another complement inhibitor called Zumora uh, that's being tested in a clinical trial. Uh, there is uh, a drug called Oracea, which is actually uh, the antibiotic doxycycline. It has some anti-inflammatory activities uh, that may be helpful for geographic atrophy. Uh, metformin is uh, also being tested. Um, there's a drug called uh, lipoic acid, which is a nutraceutical that has some uh, antioxidant and also iron chelating properties. And uh, we're, we're very interested in that one. That's being tested at uh, UPenn. And uh, the uh, initial results uh, motivating that study were developed in my laboratory. So we have a, uh, a trial that's uh, funded by the Bright Focus Foundation, and uh, patients with geographic atrophy are uh, receiving this, and uh, sometime next year we'll find out whether it slowed the growth of, of their geographic atrophy. And, and I know, um, you know in as you outlined some of these promising treatments, you know, several times you've mentioned clinical trials. I was wondering if you could give our listeners a, sort of a peek behind the curtain. Like, in, in vision science, what, what does a clinical trial entail? Like, who, who participates and what do you and your team and the, and the families involved do? Yeah, so uh, first the uh, idea for the clinical trial has to be developed uh, usually by researchers at uh, academic uh, eye hospitals around the country and around the world. Um, and uh, they're tested uh, usually in uh, animal models first, uh, initially mice often. And if they look protective in, in, the, uh, in the animal models and safe, then they're advanced to, uh, to clinical trials. And... Uh, the uh, investigators at the academic centers uh, have to apply to the FDA uh, in order to get uh, permission to, uh, to test a new drug. The FDA looks at the, all the data, looking at uh, the safety data and the potential for effectiveness. And once that's approved, then the uh, institution can start uh, recruiting patients. So the patients are uh, invited to participate in clinical trials if they meet certain criteria. So each trial is looking for patients with a particular phase and stage of disease. Uh, there are inclusion criteria and exclusion criteria that uh, determine who, uh, who is going to be eligible uh, for, uh, for the treatment. And then once uh, patients are given a, um, an informed consent uh, document that uh, lists all the uh, reasons for, for the trial and, uh, and discusses the potential risks, and um, then uh, they, they are followed over the course of uh, however long the trial is going to go. Sometimes they're short, a few months. Sometimes they're a couple of years, and uh, they'll come and they'll see their uh, doctor who will uh, 
examine them. They'll get uh, imaging, retinal imaging done. And uh, the doctors and patients usually don't know who's getting drug and who's getting placebo. And then at the very end of the study, all of that data gets analyzed and it's determined uh, whether the drug was uh, safe and effective. There are three phases of clinical trials. The first one is for uh, safety. It's usually small. Uh, and then if the uh, drug is uh, proven safe, then the trial advances to a phase two and, and a phase three. And each of these is done you know, with close monitoring for any adverse events. So if there's any concern about safety, then the trial can be halted before uh, anybody gets hurt. Yeah. Well, that's that's that's, that's really interesting. Um, what um, if someone were interested in, in uh, participating in a vision clinical trial? What are some of the things they should ask their doctor about? Well, they should uh, first of all, you know, indicate that they are interested in participating in a clinical trial. And then their doctor can tell them whether there are any trials out there that uh, they may be eligible for. Uh, a lot of doctors will know about the uh, available trials, but uh, it doesn't hurt for patients to uh, look at, uh, at, at the list of clinical trials and ask their doctor if, if they uh, might be eligible for a specific trial. And um, there's a website called clinicaltrials.gov that lists all the actively enrolling clinical trials. So patients can look at that if they're interested. Yeah, well, great. And Dr. Nay, are you okay if we move on to a few listener questions? Absolutely. Um, we have uh, a woman named, um, a woman from Canada asks a question um, today. What is a membrane peel? She's heard some people talk about that and, and, and read a little bit about it. Um, is, that, is that something that, uh, you know, she's at her doctor uh, that she should ask about or know about, a membrane peel? Yeah, sure. So uh, a membrane is a, is a, uh, a thin um, surface uh, on, the, on the top of the retina, kind of like saran wrap. Uh, that that can uh, grow along the surface of, of the retina, and it can uh, cause some wrinkles in the retina, and sometimes uh, even cause a little hole to form. And uh, if a patient has uh, distortion of vision uh, due to that wrinkling, or um, or or a hole that's formed in the center of the retina called a, a macular hole. Uh, then sometimes that uh, membrane peel can uh, help improve the vision. Great, great, thank you. And, um, Marvin from Florida uh, is wondering when you talked about the, some of the, the promising uh, uh, drugs that are being developed. Would any of those be able to reverse uh, vision loss from AMD? Sometimes yes. So uh, patients who have wet macular degeneration have blood vessels that have leaked fluid or sometimes even red blood cells into the retina. And that can cause reversible vision loss. Uh, so if those blood vessels can be dried up so that they stop leaking and uh, that fluid or blood that was in the retina reabsorbs, then patients can actually notice an improvement in their vision. 
some patients who are listening uh, who have wet macular degeneration uh, will notice that when their blood vessels start leaking and then they get an injection that causes the blood vessels to stop leaking, their vision can improve. Mm-hmm. Patients who have geographic atrophy, there's nothing that we can do medically uh, at, the, at the present time that improves vision. Uh, what we can do, though, is offer low vision aids that uh, will magnify images or uh, special lights uh, that make it easier to use the uh, remaining vision that, that's intact within the eye. The, the one fortunate thing about geographic atrophy is that the area of atrophy almost always stops when, when uh, it reaches the edges of the macula so that the patients are able to keep their, uh, their peripheral, their side vision, and uh, use that to, uh, to get around and to uh, see uh, objects as best they can. And the objects need to be uh, magnified and the lights need to be brighter in order to use that vision, but it is still very useful. Mm-hmm. Well, great. We have a question from uh, uh, from Calif- listener from California is wondering how can people um, best best deal with the the anxiety that um, could arise from having to get an injection in their eye? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that sounds like a pretty awful thing to have an injection in your eye, um, and uh, most people have the, the most difficulty with it before their first one and then and then they realize that it's not as bad as it sounds and the the doctor will uh will numb up the eye uh before the injection and uh, the injection is done with a tiny le- little needle uh about as thin as a hair and it only takes a few seconds and uh, once people have been through the first one uh, usually it's uh, a lot easier the anxiety is uh, is less uh, after uh, after that first one. Well, it sounds like you have a, a good bedside manner as a uh, as a clinician to help on that. And we have a couple questions here about sort of exercise and lifestyle questions. You know, uh, Dr. Danae, if you and other other uh, experts that have joined Bright Focus Chats talk about the importance of of, of staying healthy and exercise and good diet. Um, as far as you know, overall health, particularly vision health, and we have a, a question from a listener in Virginia wondering: Is it okay to swim uh, in swimming pools after you have wet AMD? Because you know, there's often chemicals that are that are that are in the water. Um, is anything that that uh, uh, we should be concerned about there? Uh, it's it's great to exercise uh, to stay healthy in general and reduce the risk of AMD. There's evidence that uh, people who are uh, obese have a higher risk of uh, AMD. Uh, There's also evidence that people who eat certain foods have a decreased risk. It's really good evidence. So those foods are uh, green leafy vegetables, uh, fruits, and uh, fatty fish like uh, salmon, sardines, uh, mackerel or tuna, although you got to watch the tuna because it can have a lot of mercury, uh, so you don't want to do uh, just tuna. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, I'd encourage the uh, the swimming, uh, just not uh, immediately after an injection. So I would uh, wait about uh, a week after an injection 
before swimming. Great. No, it's really, it's very helpful. And kind of staying on the, uh, the, the kind of overall health and lifestyle question uh, topic. Earlier, you mentioned um, about a um, metformin and, and diabetes. I was wondering, what's the, what's the connection between diabetes and um, macular degeneration? Well, diabetes can affect the retina, uh, but it doesn't cause age-related macular degeneration. It causes a distinct disease called diabetic retinopathy. Uh, these diseases can both affect the vision, um, but when the ophthalmologist looks into the eye, they look very different. Uh, the, in diabetic retinopathy, blood vessels on the surface of the retina can leak and bleed. In macular degeneration, blood vessels that are very deep in the retina can leak and bleed. In both diseases, patients can be treated with anti-VEGF drugs like Lucentis, Thylea, or Avastin. So in that way, they're similar. People with diabetes can also go a long way toward protecting their vision with lifestyle changes. So they eat that same diet as that I was talking about, the macular degeneration patients, lots of green leafy vegetables, uh, fatty fish, uh, not, not, not high on the carbs like uh, potatoes or rice. The diabetics have to watch out for uh, fruits that release their sugars very rapidly, like uh, watermelon and banana. But uh, otherwise, uh, fruits are okay as well. Great. And we have uh, a two-part question from uh, from a gentleman who uh, asks about the injections. I guess one part one is you know there's there's different brand names uh, that you've mentioned for the injections, and and you know callers wondering like how do you how do you best talk with your doctor about you know the, the different brand names, and then the part two question is uh, is there some type of lifetime maximum number of injections someone someone should receive? Yeah, there is no lifetime maximum. Uh, I've had patients who have had 100 or more injections, and the eye tolerates those injections very well. Uh, the injections that are currently available, Lucentis and Ilea and Avastin, are, uh, they all target the same molecule, VEGF. So they're, they're pretty similar to each other. There's some evidence that ILEA can last a little bit longer uh, than uh, Lucentis, uh, but ophthalmologists may find that for any given patient, one of them might work better than the others. We can't really predict who's going to respond to each one the best. So a lot of times we'll start with one, and if it's working, we'll continue with it, and if it's not working as well as we'd like, we'll switch to one of the others. Sure. Now, now, sort of broadly speaking, is that tend to be the the uh, the physician's decision, or do patients um, sometimes ask for one over the other? So how does that work? Well, well, the doctor will always talk about it with the patient and uh, t- recommend uh, one in particular. But uh, if the patient is interested in hearing about the others, then certainly there will be a discussion. Uh, about the pros and cons of uh, of each of, of the anti-VEGF drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a question, uh, John from New York. You know, you know, heard about um, some of the promising medications you mentioned. Uh, are any of them? Would any of them be someday available in a pill, or is it some some you know uh, non-injection route? Any any of the ones you mentioned? 
Um, most of them are injections. Certainly, it would be great to uh, have a pill so that uh, wouldn't have to be injected in the eye. Uh, the uh, lipoic acid uh, trial that we're doing at UPenn is uh, is a pill uh, for people with geographic atrophy. Uh, and there is a, uh, a VEGF inhibitor uh, that's a, uh, one form of it is being tested orally. It's called uh, X82 or uh, unitinib. Uh, that one uh, also targets, uh, targets VEGF. So uh, hopefully uh, a, a pill could, could work at, at some point, but uh, we don't have a pill for wet macular degeneration currently. We do have vitamins that are given to people with uh, early macular degeneration. If, if patients have uh, drusen, which are uh, little whitish yellow spots in the back of the eye that the eye doctor can see, uh, then they'll be uh, told to take antioxidant vitamins. Uh, these are based on a study funded by the National Eye Institute called the Age-Related Eye Disease Study, or AREDS. These vitamins are available over the counter, and uh, they follow the formula of the AREDS-2 trial. So if anybody's taking these vitamins, they should check to see that they follow the AREDS-2 formula. Great. And, uh, so and these vitamins were shown to decrease the risk of progression from early macular degeneration to advanced macular degeneration. Dr. Naff, I saw a story in the news the other day that there's signs of hope that Alzheimer's disease may be um, uh, detected a little early through through an eye scan. I was wondering if uh, you know it sounds very exciting. I was wondering what you what you know about that. Yeah, Michael, it, it is exciting. The the retina is part of the brain. So some diseases that affect the brain, like Alzheimer's disease, can also be seen uh, in the retina. And there are uh, a couple of ways that they can be seen. There's really advanced imaging now for the retina uh, that can be done very quickly with uh, just by shining light into the eye and uh, a computer detects the reflected and absorbed light and, and can generate a lot of information about the uh, structure uh, of the retina and uh, its composition. Uh, sometimes that will be done in combination with a dye that might be injected or, uh, or eaten uh, and sometimes without the dye. So there are a couple of different ways that the, uh, the eye can be imaged and uh, that may provide information about Alzheimer's disease uh, risk, perhaps uh, detecting early Alzheimer's disease. There's a, one of these dyes is actually a spice called uh, curcumin, uh, which binds to a protein found in Alzheimer's brains, but also in the retinas of people with Alzheimer's disease. This protein is called amyloid beta. And then this dye can be detected through imaging uh, in the eye. So the thought is people with uh, Alzheimer's disease with amyloid beta in the brain uh, may have uh, 
amyloid beta in the retina that would be detected this way, and uh, perhaps the, that could signal uh, and detect early Alzheimer's disease. This uh, all needs to be proven in uh, additional clinical trials, but it holds a lot of promise for early detection of Alzheimer's. Oh, no, it's, it's very, very encouraging. And like I said, it still still needs more examination, but it's real, real exciting. And um, Dr. Nay, if I just want to conclude with uh, just sort of your, your overall thoughts, you, you know, you, you've been one of the, the leading researchers on this on this disease. And you, I know you see patients um, at the University of Pennsylvania uh, Medical Center. Is there a common message or is, there, or is there something you'd like patients and their families to know about macular degeneration that might, you know, might, might, su- might surprise them or maybe give them a little, little more uh, hope or encouragement for, um, for the future? Yeah, sure. Good question, Michael. Uh, well, first of all, patients with macular degeneration, early macular degeneration, should know that a lot of times it's possible to keep good vision for your whole life. When uh, patients first come to me with early macular degeneration, they're really terrified that they're going to lose their central vision. And uh, a lot of patients don't. A lot of patients keep good vision for their whole life. So that, that's really important uh, for people to know. Uh, the next uh, thing takeaway I'd like people to have is that they have a lot of control over what's going to happen. So lifestyle modification is not easy, but it's, it's doable and it's really helpful. So the diet that I was talking about, lots of fruits and vegetables, fatty fish, uh, exercise, uh, certainly not smoking. Smoking is a major risk factor. If you smoke, make every effort to stop. And then there's a, a lot of hope that uh, new treatments are, are going to be coming down the pipeline and decreasing the frequency of those injections for people with wet macular degeneration. I think we will find ways to slow or stop the progression of geographic atrophy. Uh, there uh, have been, has been a lot of interest in the use of stem cells to replace retinal cells that have died in patients with geographic atrophy. And there are some early clinical trials that suggest that stem cell treatment can be safe I'm not sure yet whether it's going to be effective, but uh, I think there's hope for that as well, Michael. Well, that's great. No, I really appreciate your uh, your advice there. I think it's a good sense of reminding people that there still are um, things that are things that are in their control, um, even in a situation that that you know is obviously very very distressing, particularly when they they first they first learn of it. Um, Dr. Nayef, I just want to conclude by by thanking you for for continuing to to, to share your time with, with the Bright Focus audience, and it was just a great opportunity today to kind of peek behind the curtain at what's happening in 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 your lab and um, and research laboratories all around the world. So I just want to again thank you very much for for uh, for all you you did for us today. Well, my pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Great. And to our listeners. Uh, uh, this concludes today's chat. If you'd like to register for the November chat, again, stay on the line and leave your leave your name and phone number. And you can always visit us on the web at brightfocus.org. So on behalf of Dr. Janaev and everyone at Bright Focus uh, Foundation, uh, thank you and have a, have a good month. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. 
Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.